Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. One of the country's largest private prison companies has defrauded Texas by collecting millions of dollars for in-prison therapeutic programming it hasn't provided during the pandemic, a new complaint filed with the state auditor claims. In 2020, as the coronavirus killed thousands of prisoners across the country, a push to release more people eligible for parole was met with firm resistance by the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles. It continued requiring most prisoners approved for parole to first complete treatment programming, which generally takes three to nine months and focuses on life skills, substance abuse, rehabilitation, or treatment for those convicted of sex offenses. But with six staff and prisoners, Texas prisons largely kept men and women confined to their cells or dorms, and people inside told the Texas Tribune in 2020 that much of the required programming wasn't occurring. On Monday, prison rights advocacy group Latino Justice alleged that despite the lack of services, management and training corporation continued charging the state for the programs and forced prisoners to falsify documents stating that they had received treatment. Instead of providing group therapy sessions and one-on-one -on -one counseling with people enrolled in the rehabilitation programs, MTC employees simply gave people paperwork to do on their own time. Latino Justice Senior Counsel Andrew Case wrote in a letter to the auditor presenting the complaint. MTC then forced people to fill out timesheets stating that they had received treatment from MTC counselors that MTC had not provided. Case continued, People were instructed by MTC staff that if they did not fill out these false timesheets, they would be disciplined or lose their parole and be forced to return to prison. The complaint, citing state contracts, program reports, and dozens of interviews with incarcerated men and women claims that fraudulent practices are still occurring. MTC spokesperson David Martinson declined to answer questions Monday, referring the Tribune to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. TDCJ spokesperson Robert Hurst sent a statement saying the prison system would fully cooperate with the state auditor's investigation into the complaint, as well as launch its own internal investigation. Hundreds of women who have accused prison guards of sexual abuse going back decades plan to sue New York State under new legislation that allows survivors to take legal action no matter how many years have elapsed. The Adult Survivors Act, passed in May, gives people who say they were sexually abused a one-time opportunity to file civil suits long after the statute of limitations for most criminal cases has expired. New York lawmakers anticipated that current or former prisoners would sue. Like the Child Victims Act that passed in 2019, which extended the statutes of limitations for those abused as children, the new law allows people to file allegations about mistreatment in state facilities, including prisons. There is no cap on how much the state can pay out to settle such lawsuits, said Brad Hoyleman, the New York State Senator who sponsored the legislation. The money would come out of the $220 billion state budget, 
and possibly from the roughly 500 million reserved for unexpected expenses. California approved similar legislation in September. The legislation takes effect in New York on November 24th. At the law firm of Slater Slater and Shulman alone, at least 750 individual civil lawsuits on behalf of incarcerated women are expected to be filed. Some of the women's cases date back to the 1980s and 1990s. Other law firms are likely to follow. Slater Slater and Shulman has previously pursued sex abuse suits against the Boy Scouts of America and the Catholic Church. The State Corrections Department has a long history of sexual abuse inside its prisons. The Department of Justice investigated allegations in the early 1980s at the now-shuttered Bayview Correctional Facility in Manhattan. The agency released a scathing report in 1985 about the abuse and made recommendations to the state. Anthony Anucci, long-term acting commissioner of the New York State Prison Agency, quietly ordered the illegal shackling of thousands of incarcerated people to desks for hours a day, even as his department's public regulations forbade the practice, internal records obtained by New York Focus show. The order relates to the landmark Humane Alternatives to Long-Term HALT Solitary Confinement Act, which went into effect across the state on March 31 and placed numerous restrictions on prisons and jails' use of solitary confinement. Among the regulations is a rule against placing restraints on residents of certain units while they are participating in out-of-cell activities. Staff are allowed to make case-by-case exceptions, but only if they conduct an individual assessment that determines that an incarcerated person poses a significant and unreasonable safety risk. But in a memo sent to all prison superintendents three weeks after Halt's enactment, Anucci flipped that script. Instead of a presumption against shackling the protected residents, he wrote that, with limited exceptions, he had ordered facilities to utilize restraints any time an incarcerated individual is participating in out-of-cell programming, which often lasts for several hours. According to the Department of Corrections and Community Supervision, DOCCS, the state prison agency, all facilities except the Hudson and Adirondack state prisons continue to implement Anucci's order, which has likely affected over 5,000 people. Here in Bloomington, Indiana, Monroe County government is quickly moving forward with a proposal for a new $60-plus million jail to replace and expand the downtown jail. With little input from community members, consultants hired by the county have recommended jail expansion, and the county government has begun the purchase of an 87-acre, $10 million property. A year ago, the Community Justice Response Committee, CJRC, a group of criminal justice employees and county politicians was created with the goal of recommending ways to keep people out of jail and provide resources for re-entry. Instead, the committee has been quietly planning the construction of an expanded $60-plus million jail, the first of several multi-million dollar justice buildings they'd planned to develop on 87 acres on the outskirts of town. As the work of the CJRC has come to light, the rapid construction of a new jail has been questioned by a diversity of community members. 
City planners last month categorized the long, undeveloped forest as unsuitable for jail construction due to drainage and other issues, and a variety of local groups have spoken out against expansion of the jail. While there are many different concerns with the proposal, critics of expansion are united in their request for the county to direct surplus funding towards social services rather than incarceration. Local government has been criticized for underfunding social service agencies, addressing mental health, homelessness, and substance use. The committee's conversations around design of the new jail have been complicated. Justice employees generally ask for a significantly expanded facility, with room for storage and space for future expansion. County officials have been focused on creating a more humane jail, prioritizing mental health care and spacious, comfortable living accommodations. Scattered other concerns have been raised, for example, because of concerns about rebellious inmates flooding their cells and interfering with court procedures. Judges would prefer any new jail to be built on a single floor. In response to the jail proposal controversy, a group of concerned local community members called Care Not Cages has been speaking up. Supporters want the county to pause the construction process and consider alternatives to expanding incarceration. We spoke to a member of the group to get some context about recent events. After that, you'll hear excerpts from a recent CJRC meeting where supporters of Care Not Cages shared various concerns about the jail proposal and the direction of the committee. The Care Not Cages group is a pretty diverse group of people. Generally, people didn't really know each other before joining the group. And yeah, we found each other just through like a series of meetings, all having this interest in opposing the new jail proposal. So the folks in the Community Justice Response Committee have been making a few different arguments for why it's important to not just build a new jail, but build a new jail sort of as soon as possible. Yeah, and that group is composed of a mix of like county commissioners, county council members, you know, some judges, there's the jail commander, the prosecutor, a couple other bureaucrats. Yeah, and their argument has been mostly that the jail is overcrowded and not well suited to care for the people staying in it. They've also argued that because of the ACLU case against the jail from about 10 years ago, there's some threat that the federal government is going to step in and force the county to build a giant cruel jail. And so to avoid that happening, they need to move really quick and build a very kind jail, which is obviously a little bit silly. Like jail is a cruel, violent thing. So like the first argument that to be humane as a county, we need to build a kinder jail and a, we need to build a bigger one so that people aren't so crowded in there. You know, Care Not Cages is a group of a bunch of different people with different ideas. So we have some like different answers to that. I think one of the answers to that is that we need to find ways to have less people in jail. So many people in the Monroe County Jail are there because of drug convictions or mental health issues, you know, trauma, just people that don't have a place to stay and end up on the streets and then end up criminalized because of that. And jail is not, you know, an appropriate way to 
care for those people. And, you know, the jail commander said that the jail is the largest mental health provider in the county. And everyone we've talked to, you know, in the, in the community, it's been really, really clear that the jail being overcrowded shouldn't be some motivation for building an even bigger jail that doesn't actually make sense. What we need to do is get people out of there because it's, it's not a good place to be for anyone. So especially people that are struggling with mental health and trauma and addiction. The other argument about the fear of federal intervention and there needing to be a big hurry, our response has generally been that this process of like ACL escalating their lawsuit and the federal government pressuring the county to build a jail, these are not going to happen overnight and there'll be some conversation involved. You know, none of us are policy makers and none of us know the minutia of like how that would actually go down, but it just is very clear that these are not going to be overnight processes. And additionally, we've heard directly from the Indiana director of the ACLU, Ken Falk, that he's not interested in pursuing a case against the county right now. And so it just seems really clear that we do have time to slow down as a county and think through what we really want to do with $70 million, you know, more even, you know, but the first phase is going to be 70 million of this local income tax increase money. I think all of us think that there are better ways to spend it. So the bottom line is that at least so far, it seems like virtually everyone in county government really wants this jail built. There are some people speaking up about slowing down a little bit, but it seems like that's the momentum. And the next step in that process is for the city to rezone the property that the county wants to build on. The county is in the process of buying this 87-acre plot for $10 million. And it's not in the city's development plan to make it a jail. They want it to be an employment area, you know, and they went through this whole long process to get that approved and they got a bunch of community input. And so basically like the community has said they want this to be an employment area and that's clashes with the jail. And so the county has asked the city to get it rezoned for a jail. And the plan commission, this city body that gives recommendations on rezoning, reviewed it well, like a couple weeks ago and gave a pretty strong recommendation to not rezone it for a few different reasons. They don't want this to happen. There's concerns about transportation. There's concerns about the property itself, which has been undeveloped for a long time for very clear reasons to do with drainage and the karst underground. And yeah, there's just a lot of concerns that the plan commission has. It's not like they are political in any way. It's not that they don't want a jail built. They're just like, this property doesn't really doesn't make sense to build a jail and to get it rezoned in this way. But the city council is the final word on this, and they could disregard that recommendation. They're set to review this question at the end of the month, probably. So we definitely like encourage people to come out to that city council meeting and speak up. There's a lot we can do to keep working on this and keep slowing down the process and just encouraging them to consider, you know, renovating the existing jail. And I think it's not actually a lot to ask is just think about other ways to address these problems in our community besides jail, you know, to take seriously these organizations that are, you know, doing 
work around reentry and sober living and just so many things that are really needed and need to be funded more. And it's just not a lot to ask for them to take all this money that they clearly have sitting around for the county to put it into the high priority things that are really need to be funded right now. So we're just going to keep pushing for that. We've already gotten a lot of momentum started and they're definitely like hearing us and they're talking a lot more about healthcare in their community justice response committee meetings since people have spoken up. And that's good, though it's it's yet to be seen whether that's just talk. We've also been just trying to gather people from different areas to just sort of start building a group of people who are talking to each other and who are thinking about how we can push for other uses for all of this income tax money. So on one hand, we've been asking nicely county council and the city council and all these different organizations, the Community Justice Response Committee, to listen to us as taxpayers. But I think also we're building an organization, like a loose organization that will be able to keep pushing for this even after they say no and say, no, we do really want to build this thing. Hi, I'm TM with Care Not Cages Group. I would like to uh, emphasize that jail and prison and incarceration in general is incredibly traumatizing. Uh, and we know uh, we've brought it up in this group before. 80% of inmates in our state suffer from mental health issues and substance abuse, and that incarcerating them will uh, exacerbate those issues. And while exacerbating those issues, incarcerating individuals uh, limits their access to treatment. Medicaid uh, will not allow you to spend money on folks without uh, freedom of movement, and that transfers that cost from the federal government to our local community and to members suffering from mental health issues and substance abuse. And I guess I want to also mention uh, last meeting we had, the director of Courage Change Sober Living came and she mentioned they receive a grant of $8,000 per individual that gets them through the year. And the county spends that much in 80 days on folks in the prison. There is an opportunity cost to incarcerating folks. And I believe that this committee should take every uh, option to limit the number of inmates as much as possible. Um, so I actually brought some um, pages of information to pass around if you'd like to, we can look at them now or later. But hi, thanks for having us. Thanks for providing this opportunity for comment. My name is Evie Barbu. I'm also with Care Not Cages and also do food advocacy work in Bloomington. And I came here to kind of point out the fact that up to this point, a lot of this discussion has focused around um, the new jail. And so it is encouraging to hear this kind of shift in conversation towards more community and civil justice responses. I guess one of the suggestions that keeps coming up and um, was brought up today was the idea of co-locating um, social and mental health services with the new jail facility. And I want to reiterate that the creation of a jail campus is not a silver bullet solution to the problems with the current jail. 
In reality, I think that this approach is far more likely to divert energy and fiscal resources away from the very real and tangible uh, and evidence-based solutions stewarded by programs and facilities already in Bloomington. I want to ask what about having these facilities out of town and connected to the jail would be better than investing in the resources and programs we already trust that are already that already understand this community and that are physically accessible to those most at risk of incarceration. Many people do not have the means to get out to, you know, an, a campus outside of town. So I also want to reiterate what um, Jennifer Crosley mentioned earlier about working with um, local communities. There is an abundance of knowledge in this community. And a few weeks ago, Care Not Cages hosted an open meeting to hear from residents about the new jail proposal. A few of you were there and other attendees included several social workers and people who have loved ones who are currently in jail or were in jail. Together, we came up with a list of nearly 70 ways that we could address the problems that contribute to incarceration rates. That's on these pages. These are the direct responses. So in case those haven't been shared from your fellow committee members, I wanted to share those today. Some of those included like addiction harm uh, reduction, funding to courage to change, um, improve, improved reliable, affordable access to work or transit access to work and others that were discussed today. So again, I think that there's a lot of other solutions available and it is possible to leverage taxpayer dollars to support people in this community and provide them with the resources and care. So thank you. Hello, um, my name is Max and uh, I'm here for several reasons. I'm here with to support Care Not Cages. A little bit about me, I'm formerly incarcerated. I think I had the record at the jail for a while for most consecutive days. I'm also a contractor. I was on the board of New Leaf for a few years. So I'd also like the conversation about getting to people before they become incarcerated. And I personally believe that a lack of sense of community is why people, for a number of reasons, become incarcerated. Mental health issues. I'd like us to think more about, instead of building a new facility, think about how we can use what we have New Leaf New Life is one of the few not-for-profits that has managed to not get entangled in the criminal justice system. And for that reason, people, you know, who struggle, trust them. And, you know, that's not the case with Centerstone and uh, some of the other, even Amethyst House and some of the other places that provide care for people, but are also woven into the government system. And so all those things together, to me, it makes more sense to figure out how to let the people who have been doing this work for years and who know, I mean, cops are, do what they, you know, are supposed to do. They're not social workers and the jail does what it's supposed to do, you know, hold people until their fate is determined. Social work is not something that either of those Either, either of those things should do. So, and to me, I, I've been in that jail. I, I know I know every inch of it. I know Colonel Crow pretty good. <laughs> uh, that I think $20 million would make that place a much better place. And 
serve more people. There's a lot of wasted space in there. Um, we talk about $70 million for a facility to basically better house more people that we could spend a lot less money and let the community do what the community needs to do, which is, you know, figure out how to, how to make people feel like they own part of their community instead of um, being marginalized. And that's all I have, but I hope this committee will think more about those type of things. Hi, I'm also with Care Not Cages, which is a group made up of local residents who understand how damaging jail is and how important it is to make sure that the fewest possible members of our community have to spend time there. And I mean, I think an obvious question that many others have asked and that I, I believe I've asked before is why there isn't an itemized list of specifically all of the problems in the jail and what that would cost to fix them. You know, the Ken Ray report does list 53 problems and a lot of them are very broad and sort of just imply a, a need for expansion, like lack of broken rooms and et cetera. And then some of them are actually very specific and seem as if very easy fixes like graffiti on the walls and broken lights. And so I don't understand why there hasn't been that estimate and that we're already jumping towards building a new jail. And I just want to be really clear, you know, I really appreciated the 40 minute focus on treatment today from you all. Um, I will say that like from some of you all, it just felt very performative. And I just think coupling mental health and treatment with incarceration is just, it doesn't make sense. Jails around the country have just taken on this mental health and gender positive rebrand to justify incarceration expansion, especially since the George Floyd uprising. And, you know, it doesn't matter if the cages are painted a calm blue color or if there's murals on the wall. I mean, and to, and to say, you know, that, that those things like are, will help people get better is just absolutely crazy. Like they're in a cage. The primary purpose of jail is punishment, control, and surveillance. And this is just completely antithetical to mental health treatment and, and substance abuse goals. So I just really want to be clear about that. Your argument is weak. And not only is this antithetical to treatment goals, but it's also reinforcing mental health as a criminal matter. Yeah, I, I don't understand like the purpose of this committee because you're kind of like talking about treatment, but most of you aren't really involved in treatment in this town. And I mean, I appreciated Jennifer Crossley's comment today of just bringing in those people. And then, yeah, you're just also planning a jail. So it's it doesn't make sense. Uh, my name is Nicole Siegel. I'm also with Care Not Cages. This is a group made up of local residents who understand how damaging jail is and how important it is to make sure the fewest possible members of our community have to spend time there. We're here to ask primarily why the county and the CRJC in particular have not followed up on the most obvious and promising recommendation of the Ken Ray report, which the county itself commissioned to estimate the costs of renovating the existing facility. Why have you not taken this basic step? I also want to ask what budgetary provisions you're making for paying back the interest, uh, which will be a regular annual cost for 30 or 50 years of the bond, and what other provisions you're making for paying back the capital when that bond comes due in 30 or 50 years, or are we going to endlessly defer this down to the next generations? Hi. I'm Bryn Thomas. I'm also with Care Not Cages. Um, I'm here to raise concerns about the land and the location. Uh, it doesn't seem like there is a clear plan yet flush out for co-locating the services or moving all the infrastructure around the jail um, to this new location. Furthermore, jail is already isolating and putting them 
out from the center of the community already isolates people even more. Also, the county has not provided a clear plan of how transit for families to this new jail location would work. And also the environmental study has not been completed and there's concerns about the buildability of the site due to water runoff. So I'd like to see that study completed before the purchase is finalized. This has been KiteLine. Thank you to everyone who helped with this episode. Email us at kiteline at wfhb.org or send us a letter at kiteline, care of WFHB, 108 West 4th Street, Bloomington, Indiana, 47404. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every week for more stories, news, and insights on the prison system. Thank you for listening.